الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا قوا أنفسكم وأهليكم نارا وقودها الناس والحجارة عليها ملائكة غلاذ شداد لا يعصون الله ما أمرهم ويفعلون ما يؤمرون صدق الله العلي العظيم My dear respected most honorable elders beloved brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته First of all we begin once again by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique opportunity to congregate in his house to worship him to glorify him to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallama and we pray that Allah azza wa jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future inshallah last week for those of you who will remember and i'm sure the vast majority of us will remember we were talking about some issues which were somewhat controversial, um, uh, somewhat sensitive, um, especially on the platform of uh, the Friday Jum'ah, the khutbah. Uh, they're not usually issues which we tend to discuss. The khutbah is about Amr bil ma'roof and nahyan al-munkar. It's about enjoining good and forbidden evil. Now, within that, it's imperative that we understand that in order for us to enjoin good, we have to ensure that we are essentially as good as we can be ourselves. And then we convey that goodness or, or uh, inculcate that goodness within those around us. And most importantly, our children. And this is why last week and this week, inshallah, um, I'm going to talk about raising children and how imperative, how important it is that in order for us to raise our children in a society that is not conducive to a um, healthy Islamic environment, we have to ensure that we, ha we find new techniques and different ways in order to inspire our children to follow the message of the Prophet Wasallam. And we can look at the Prophet Sallallahu community 1400 years ago. That the Prophet Sallallahu in Mecca, his companions, they were somewhat restricted in terms of what they did, in terms of the religion um, and following the religion, acting by its principles, praying as often as they would have wanted, as they would have liked. But once they moved to Medina and established their own state, Within that, there was a lot of freedom for them to express themselves religiously uh, in terms of their religion. Now, the society in which we live is very much uh, an open, uh, diverse community or a diverse society where we have people of different faiths, uh, people of no faith who practice their faith uh, or lack thereof uh, can, uh, as, as well as they want or um, you know, uh, as much as they want. In order for us in this society to follow the message of the Prophet ﷺ, to act by the principles stated in the Qur'an, 
to follow the footsteps of the Prophet ﷺ is going to become increasingly difficult as time moves on. Now you could be living here in the West or you could be living in any country in the world. As time moves on, even if you're living among Muslims, as time moves on, it's going to become increasingly difficult to follow by the principles of your religion. That's why it's imperative that we understand that first and foremost, that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard because the Prophet ﷺ told us it's going to be hard. Following one sunnah of mine, the Prophet ﷺ stated, is going to be as difficult as placing hot burning coal on your hand. That's how difficult it's going to be. That people are going to want to, they're not only going to shy away from it, they're going to completely eradicate the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ from their lives. So it's imperative that we understand that. And once we've understood that it's going to become difficult, then we have to take the necessary steps in order for us to uh, appreciate, or in order for us to appreciate what we have, to be as grateful for, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we can possibly be, and then understand that taking one step at a time, right? Uh, it's not possible for us. Or it's, 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 a, it's, it's a distant um, idea that we're going to be able to follow every single sunnah or incorporate every single sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in our lives completely. That's going to be information overload. It's going to be difficult for us to follow. So what we need to do is <clears throat> we need to prioritize. We need to say, well, this is something that I need to teach my children. This is something that I need to incorporate within myself. The Prophet ﷺ was kind, he was caring, he was compassionate. That's by nature. I have to ensure that I change my nature first and foremost, that I become kind and caring and compassionate, and then I can incorporate those kind of values and those ethics within my children. Right? So first and foremost, <clears throat> we have to think about change within ourselves <clears throat> and think about small changes. You don't need to take those big, massive steps in order for you to bring about change. Baby steps here. Because we're in a society, we live in an environment where taking those huge strides is becoming increasingly difficult. It's tough. It's not easy. We have to understand that. You know, um, once we've understood that, then it makes it easy <coughs> for us to follow those smaller things. Now, I told you last week that as parents, as educators, as primary educators, parents, we hold enormous leverage in terms of what our children are exposed to. Because current, at this moment in time, when your children are growing up, um, they're exposed to, to they have, it's, it's, more of, it's like a sensory overload of information, right? Everything they're getting from everywhere. And it's difficult for them at their young age to process all of that information. They're not computers. It's difficult for them to process that information and understand which information is applicable to them and discard which information. It's our job to, uh, uh, to facilitate that for them. It's our job to tell them, <coughs> excuse me, to inform them that this is the information that you need. This is the information that we as Muslims need to act upon. This for now we'll discard or this we'll leave for later. That's our job. That's what wisdom uh, entails. That's what wisdom is all about. You know, wisdom is, is not just about having knowledge. Right? The most knowledgeable person isn't necessarily the most wise person or the wisest from among us all. No. 
The, the wisest person is the one who knows how to use that knowledge and that information that he or she has gained in the most appropriate manner. That's wisdom. The Quran says, The Prophet ﷺ, he was an epitome of this. He was an embodiment of this. Convey, preach your religion, do da'wah with wisdom. Invite people to the way of your Lord with hikmah. And by sweet preaching, by good talk, right? by sensible preaching. And, in all, and, and that's something that we need to understand. So if we apply this, first and foremost, wisdom. We need to, have, we need to be as wise as we possibly can. You know, wisdom, you know, conventional wisdom always changes, doesn't it? You know, what was conventional wisdom? And I spoke about, I, I touched on this last week. Conventional wisdom, uh, 100, 200, 300 years ago, if we looked at the, uh, the world in which we lived and in which we reside, the universe, Right? People believed in, in, in the uh, geocentric model that was uh, popularized by the great scientific thinkers like Copernicus and Galileo. And the geocentric model was what? That the earth is in the center of the universe. Or at least in our solar system, it's the center. And everything revolves around the earth. That was conventional wisdom two to three hundred years ago. But over time that's changed and we've realized, no, actually it's the other way around. Everything is, 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 is revolving on its axis. Everything is moving. The earth is moving. So that we've rejected that wisdom now, haven't we? But rejecting it two, three hundred years ago was difficult. People would have said, you're crazy. This is popular belief. If you go on before that or even during that time and some people even now have the theory or believe in the theory that the earth is flat. Right? The, the, the land is, is completely flat. You go onto one side, you're going to fall off the edge. That was conventional wisdom prior to people, to, to, to people possessing that knowledge that now will actually know the, the, the earth is, is a sphere, it's a globe. And it's tilted on its axis and it's constantly revolving. We understand that now. That's conventional wisdom now, so conventional wisdom always changes. So isn't necessarily always correct wisdom. It's about utilizing the knowledge and the tools that you have at your disposal in order to reach the best conclusion that you can possibly reach. With the limited tools that we have, with the limited mentality that we have, with the limited understanding that we have. So it's important we understand that. And we, we need not look further than the Prophet ﷺ who was the most wise. You see, even uh, 1400 years ago, the Prophet ﷺ, conventional wisdom meant that the Prophet ﷺ at that time when he was talking to his companions and he was informing them of the signs of the last day and he was informing them of what's going to come as time moves on. He was sensitive to those topics. You see, what, when he was talking about uh, the different technologies, you know, he didn't, the Prophet ﷺ spoke about mobile phones. The Prophet ﷺ spoke about mobile phones. People's thighs will talk to them. People's shoes will talk to them. 
People could understand that 1400 years ago. We can understand that now. The Prophet وسلم, spoke about, you know, when the Dajjal will come and he will travel. And he will travel so quickly around the earth, going from place to place on a, a flying donkey, on a donkey with wings, which is going to be huge. Which is going to be huge. Now, if we understand that hadith of the Prophet and try to interpret it, we can say, well, the Prophet was talking about an airplane. But if you try to explain that 1400 years ago, well, actually it's a mechanism which has several engines and people are going to be sitting inside it. It's a, it's a tool. And then it's going to be able to fly in the air. People wouldn't understand that because the technology hasn't, hadn't developed. So conventional wisdom means that the tools that you have at your disposal, utilize them. Utilize what you have in order to reach the best conclusion. Now we've got innumerate tools. We've got some, um, we've got, like I said, it's a sensory overload of information. 20 years ago, you wanted information. 30 years ago, you wanted information. You didn't open up Google and say, hello, Sheikh Google. Mufti Sahib, can you explain to me what the answer is to this question? No. You had to open up a book. You had to read. You had to understand and appreciate. Well, now it's different, isn't it? Now if people want the answer to something, they're confused about something, automatically the first thought is, let's go to our phone, let's type it in Google. Surely someone has come up with an answer or some, or some type of response. So we've got a sensory overload of information. But we need to know what type of information to use, what type of information to discard. I told you conventional wisdom about when we, when we talk about our children now, right? And I spoke about, and, and, and quite openly, in terms of uh, the, the, uh, religi uh, the, the relationship education, which is going to be uh, incorporated within the schools, where children as young as four and five are going to be taught about um, gender, gender neutrality, and they're going to be taught about, which, which is going to be um, uh, the, the idea, or the LGBT um, agenda is going to be promoted. That children as young as four or five are going to be taught that you know it's 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 absolutely fine to have these type of relationships. Children as young as four or five are going to be taught sex sex education, which is completely absurd because it's not something that they can understand at that age. But they're going to be taught it within our environments or within our schools. We need to counter that. How do we counter that? By being aware first and foremost that this is happening within your schools. Don't just be like those blind followers. You know, we're not blind. Deaf, dumb and blind and from that they will not return. Send your children to school at 9 o'clock. Close your eyes. When they come back, close your eyes again. You know, and take their bags off them and feed them. Don't have any questions about what, what, they, what they're being taught in schools. Because some, you know, 99% of the information that they receive within their schools is, is going to make them a better human being or a more educated individual. It's going to make them better. But there is that 1%, as I've stated, which conventional wisdom now. That conventional wisdom now is you say you believe in God and you believe that there's a one supreme being who created all of this existence. Everything that we live in, everything that we can see, everything that we can't see, it was created by one supreme being who we cannot see, we cannot feel, we cannot touch. 
conventional wisdom states that you're absolutely crazy. Because people now, it's common, it's popular belief that man was descended from apes and you know, um, the world came into, the universe came into being with a big bang and everything just naturally settled in its most perfect place without anyone placing it there. And then humankind was created out of nothing. Right? Living organisms, millions and millions of different living organisms came out of being, just magically appeared. This is what your children are going to be taught. And it's going to confuse them if they're not taught about their Rabb. You know, in the Alam al-Arwah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the land of souls, before we came here, before we settled on this plane of existence, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran? What did he ask humankind? Did he ask them what they're going to have for dinner? Did he ask them how they're going to earn their, their living? What they're going to do in their lives? How they're going to worship? No. He said, Alastu bi rabbikum. Am I not your Lord? Am I not your Lord? First and foremost, recognize my existence. Do you recognize it now? Alastu bi rabbikum. Am I not your Lord? And what did they say? Qalu bala. They said, of course you are. This means, they didn't, they didn't just say, yes, na'am. They said, bala, of course. What other reality can there be where you are not our Lord? Of course you are our Lord. That's one thing that we believe with every fiber of our existence. You see, now our children need to be taught that. We need to inculcate within them the concept of la ilaha illallah. We need to make them understand there is no God but Allah. Because when they reach the ages of 13, 14, 15, and they're studying religious education in schools, you may not have gone through it. I'm, I can tell you, I, I've researched this topic, I've seen what's being taught in schools. I've been through that school environment myself. Religious education, atheism is being taught as a religi religious subject. Your Muslim children, my Muslim children, our Muslim brothers and sisters, the rates of, of, uh, um, of Muslims losing their faith. You know, we talk so much and so often about Islam being the most uh, uh, widely accepted religion and the fastest growing religion in the world. How often have you heard that? Put your hand up if you've heard or, or read about Islam being the fastest growing religion. You've heard of it, right? Everybody has. In different countries, in different environments, Islam is growing at a rapid race, at a rapid rate. That's absolutely true. There's statistics that we cannot deny. But on the other hand, we also need to understand that Muslims, you know, other religions, other religions are not as religiously aware as they should be. You see, people who don't often identify themselves as Christians or members of any other faith, faiths, and even when they do, they say we're not practicing that faith. We're not, we're not practitioners of our religion. We understand that we were born Christians, but we don't really know much about our faith. As Muslims, it's the other way around. We know a lot about our faith. We're taught that the concept of, 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 of deen and Islam, of Allah and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam are ingrained within us from a young age. 
However, why is it then that our children, when they're going to colleges and they're going to universities, that, 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 and it's steadily increasing the number of, 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 of young teens and young people who are leaving their faith. It's ever increasing. I, I, I can assure you, I've come, across, I've come across scholars, scholars of religion, whose children have left the religion. Scholars of deen, whose, whose children have left the religion completely. Because it's become unattractive to them. It's not popular. It's not something that they can understand. So we need to contextualize the faith for them. Don't present the faith to them as the Prophet ﷺ presented the faith to the companions 1400 years ago. Like I said, he used wisdom. 1400 years ago, he presented the faith to them in a way that they could see it. They could appreciate it and understand it. So use the exact same tactics of the Prophet ﷺ and present the faith, present the religion to your children, to the young people of today in a way that they can see it and understand it and appreciate it. Science is, is, uh, is a widely, not a widely accepted theory, it's a belief system now. Incorporate science within, within your religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did in the Quran, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not talk about the fetal development in the Quran? How that clot of blood is formed, right? Within the mother's womb, and that clot of blood develops into an em uh, embryo. The embryo develops into a fetus. The fetus develops into a baby. The ruh is, is breathed into it. The spirit is, the soul is breathed into it. Does Allah not talk about that development in the Quran? 1400 years ago, this was revealed to the Prophet sallallahu 1400 years ago, the people were still unaware. They, did, they knew how children were created, but they had absolutely no idea what was going on within the mother's womb until the child was delivered. No idea. Nobody did. I can assure you, you'll not find a single instance anywhere where someone talks about that, where someone writes about that. But the Prophet sallallahu taught that to his, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught that to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa who taught that to his companions 1400 years ago. The very first five verses of the Quran, Iqra, the first verse, read, Iqra, read, understand, appreciate, don't just waltz through life without understanding what the environment around you, appreciate the environment around you, read as much as you can. This doesn't only necessarily refer to the recitation and the reading of the Quran. Read means here, means understand, appreciate too. Your Lord who created you, understand your creation, how you were created. Created man from what? From a clot of blood. You need to understand science to understand what that clot of blood were, was and how that clot of blood formed and then what that how that clot of blood developed into you and me. So when we teach our children, contextualize the faith for them. Teach them in a manner. Teach them with the new tools that you have. The same tools, you know, nowadays, right? <clears throat> When, uh, you know, I, I'll talk about uh, me, Mansoor, and, and, and others around here who are roughly the same age, right? And we, uh, when we grew up, so, sort of the 90s, right? We were the 90s children. Right? And in the 90s, you know, when, 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 like I said, like last week, when mobile phones were this big, 
and you had to carry them in your briefcases. Not even briefcases, suitcases, right? And, and when people didn't, when people used normal phones, and when they wanted to communicate, they wrote, they wrote letters. Or, or, they, or they, they, went to, they went to each other and they had a dialogue face to face, something that has become completely non-existent, non-existent now. During that time when we had to play, we had to innovate, right? We had to think of new things of what to play. We, we wanted to go to the park. We wanted to ride bikes and go outside, right? Because that was the norm. We're just talking about now, the 90s, which was only 19, 20 years ago. We wanted to play outside. We didn't, we didn't have gadgets. We didn't have these, um, well, it was rare for us to have, uh, you know, the old Sega Mega Drives and something to play with. And Mansoor is smiling, so I know he, what he's, he knows what I'm talking about. You know, the old games that we used to play, and big, huge ones that we had to <laughs> smack inside the, the, the actual uh, uh, ala, the actual tool. But that was rare. We used to play outside. We had different upbringing. Whereas now, now if you want your children, you say to your children, go play outside, ride a bike, go to the park, run around. No, I'd rather sit at home and play on my iPad, you know, play on my PlayStation. There are different games and different ways to keep your children ingrained with that mentality that they need to stay in one thing. And then they can stay on it for hours on end. I, I, I'll give you an example, right? Um, and we've got about five minutes. I went home uh, once, and I've, alhamdulillah, I have a quite a large family. I'm the youngest of 10 siblings and 30-odd nieces and nephews. And usually when I go home on, on, on a weekend, uh, you know, the entire family gathers around my parents' houses and us brothers and sisters are, are, are together. One morning I woke up, uh, it was on a Sunday morning, and I, and, and I came inside the, the main room and my father was sitting there and my, uh, you know, there was a line of children sitting next to my father. So his grandchildren, right, my brother's kids, and there was about six or seven of them. Six or seven of them, and some of them were brothers and sisters of each other, right, siblings. And each and every one of them had an iPad in their hands, each and every one of them. And they were looking down at this iPad. And I remember my father trying to talk to one of them and ask him about his mother. He says, where's your mum? And he had absolutely no idea what my dad was saying. He was completely immersed within the iPad. Completely. And, and this is something that we need to understand, right? At this moment in time, we've got a duty to our children. We monitor what they see, we monitor what they hear. That's our duty as parents, as the primary educators. We want our parents to, to hear good, we want them to see good. Just like we, we, when we feed our children, do we feed them with haram income? No. We feed them with the best of, of halal. Do we feed them haram foods? which have been slaughtered in other than the name of Allah? No, we feed them with halal. We want their bodies to be nourished in the best possible way. So think about their minds. We have to nourish, we have to take control of nourishing their minds as well. We've got this massive responsibility. We control what they see and what they hear. Control that now. Have your TV free evenings. There's some houses where the TV is on 24 hours a day, irrespective of whether someone is sitting in front of it watching it or not. It's on. 
24 hours a day. Control that now. Control what your, what your children see. Some of the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the viewing on, on, on your television screens, some of the content is completely inappropriate for your children. Completely. But you know what? We watch it ourselves, and our children are sitting with us watching the same thing. Our brothers, brothers and sisters watching these television shows which are, some of them are completely inappropriate. But we sit there with our children and we watch them. You know what, that's, you know what that suggests for the child? For them, that's, that's, uh, that becomes a natural, normal way of life for them. That's uh, uh, silently us accepting without having to tell them that they can watch this. Just because they see us watching it, they think it's acceptable for them to watch as well. You know, children uh, as young as five who are being taught, uh, four and five, who are taught sexual education in schools, right? Growing up, the environment, the community within which we reside is becoming far more sexualized. We have to find ways to counter it. We have to find ways to talk about, talk to our children, be sensitive, talk to them, understand them. Don't be like the old age parents that have absolutely no idea. We don't want to talk about these issues. We don't want to hear about these issues. But your children are talking about them. Your children are hearing about them rather than hearing about them from each other and experimenting themselves. How about you give them a talk? How about you talk to them and teach them and train them? The Prophet ﷺ did that with the Sahaba. The Sahaba did that with their children. We need to do the same. Talk to your children. Be sensitive. Understand, don't differentiate between your sons and your daughters. The Prophet ﷺ was explicit in that. The Prophet ﷺ said, be, be fair and be just between your children. Be just. He didn't say, be fair and be just with your sons. Or be fair and just with just your daughters. No, he said, with all of your children. Be just. If you're going to give a certain type of education to your, to your son, then ensure that your, your daughter is, is, is permitted to have the same type of education. Don't differentiate in any way. Don't give one preference over another. The Prophet ﷺ certainly did not do so. In fact, when we hear about educating children, more of the ahadith are related to educating daughters than educating sons. And I'm not saying that means that educating daughters is more important than educating sons. What I'm talking about is at that time, it was completely inappropriate. People were burying their daughters alive, never mind giving them a life and giving them an education. That was the environment then. So the Prophet ﷺ had to talk more about daughters. You know, give them preference. Talk about them so people understand. So do, understand those sensitivities around your children as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran, the noble sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ.